time yesterday. Did anybody else have a good time yesterday? You guys have a good time? Wasn't that great? Wasn't that great? Hey, thanks, guys. I'll tell you, I, I really enjoy serving together, and I, I, I really enjoy um, being part of such a church that just wants to reach out and, and change the world. And um, thank you so much for all of you who took time um, to be there out of your, out of your uh, Saturday and those kind of things. It just, was, it just was a great day, and I'm so proud to be part of a church who uh, wants to do things like this. Uh, my name is Chad Ranson. I'm the serve pastor here. I oversee missions and outreach, and it's my joy to be with you this morning for our time together. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. We're going to look at, uh, we'll just kind of give an overview, if you will. We're going to hit some select passages throughout 1 Peter that I think is going to speak, uh, speak into our lives a little bit. Um, I'm going to be using a couple of different translations, the New Living Translation and the NIV Translation. So uh, nobody get mad at me. Um, it's, it's okay, you know, it's, it's still biblical text. It just might be phrased one way or differently in your Bible that you have with you um, today. So what I want to do is um, just kind of, you know, kind of talk a little bit about change the world and talk a little bit about this, uh, this, that, and the other. But as Peter is writing, as Peter's writing this book, what we see is Peter uh, addresses a, a group of Christians that find themselves in an increasingly hostile culture. And he's writing to them, and he's reminding them to stay strong. Stand on your convictions, right? So stay the course. And I can't help but think sometimes Peter is writing this book to us because in an ever-increasing culture of hostility towards Christians, we need to be reminded to stay strong on our convictions, to stay true to what it is that, that we believe. And persecution breaks out against the church here that Peter writes to. And you, if you're a student of history, then you know when Peter writes this book, Nero is the emperor of, of Rome at this time. And Nero made it legal to persecute the Christians. It was legal to um, do bad things to them. And, and that was okay because the Christians were just kind of this small, marginalized group over here to the side. And Nero set loose the forces of Rome to stomp out Christianity. And the Christians are like, what are we going to do? How, how are we supposed to live in a culture that persecutes Christians to the degree that it's just okay to do that? And Peter writes. And I sometimes just can't help but think that's our culture, right? It's ever-increasing hostility to those who stand up for biblical values and for those who stand on the message of Jesus Christ. And Peter, Peter writes this to these people. And if you've studied 1 Peter, if you've ever read the book, then you know his main point is summed up by saying, this is not your home. You're foreigners. You're exiles. You're just passing through on an airplane that gets a little turbulent from times, right? Gets a little turbulent. But this is not your home. You don't live here. So no matter what comes, it's okay. Because I'm just... I'm just moving through. And ideas and beliefs and persecution and culture, they come, but it's okay. It's just temporary. And then we're, and we're out. Here's how Peter describes it. And Peter describes this kind of culture for us. And he says, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, People are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And I, and I love that. Because I need to be reminded of this. Because every four years, right, in our culture, every four years, a new idea, a new philosophy, a new way of living life comes out. And when it, it, it grows, 
and it withers and then it fades. And then the next year, somebody else comes up with a new philosophy, a new idea, a new belief system, and it grows and then it dies and withers and, and fades away. And not just in the political arena, you see this in the financial arena, how you invest your money, how you spend your money, where you're going to put your investments. Every now and again, somebody has a new idea, it pops up, and then it withers and fades, and it, it's, it's gone. You see this in um, the health food arena, right? Every, every time I go to that superstore, they're always telling me, this is the new superfood, we finally found it. When I go back again the next two weeks, oh, we found another one, sorry. And then, oh, here's another superfood, just take this, it'll solve all your problems. It rises, it withers away and passes. But the word of the Lord, that's what he says, stands forever. You're just passing through. We're foreigners, we're exiles, we're in the culture, in the land that's not our own. And Peter says, it's okay. Stand on the word of God. That's, that's where our anchor is, like Matt talked about last week. That's where our hope is. It's not in the beliefs of whoever's popular at our time. It's not whatever the talking heads on TV want us to believe or what Cosmo magazine says is the most popular thing today. It's the word of the Lord. Now, I think before we move further, I kind of think we need to, you know, kind of distinguish the difference between a belief and a conviction. A belief is just an acceptance of something, right? I believe the Colts are going to win the Super Bowl this year. That's That's a belief, that's a, it's an acceptance, it's a, um, a cognitive acknowledgement of, of something that we believe to be true. It's, it's, it's a belief. But a conviction, a conviction, conviction's just, it's a, a, a little different. It's a demonstration of the belief. You see this? A belief is something I believe to be true, I think might be true, but a conviction is an actionable step upon that belief sentence. Howard Hendricks defines it this way. He says, a belief is something you argue about, but a conviction is something you die for. And Peter writes to the Christians, and he says, you are to be people of conviction, not just a belief. Because when we believe something, when persecution comes, when people come at us for our belief, you know what we do? We tend just to sit silently and quiet and just kind of be passive but when we're people of conviction and they come at us and they, 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 they slander and they, they come at you, it's different because we're people of conviction. It's different. And Peter is writing to the Christians in Rome who are being persecuted for their faith. And he says, you need to be people of conviction. You don't want to acquiesce on your beliefs. Don't just mold into the culture Don't just become like everybody else. Peter says, don't be impulsive. That's what we love in our culture. Somebody comes at me, I come at them. Somebody has something bad to say, I've got one more to say. Somebody writes something awful on social media, I'm going to do the very same thing. And we, we get impulsive. But Peter says, learn from somebody who was impulsive. Peter says, learn from me, from a guy who in the Garden of Eden, or the Garden of Gethsemane, when, when Jesus was betrayed, took a sword and cut a dude's ear off. Take a lesson from me about not being impulsive because it doesn't end well. So, so stand on your convictions. Know what you believe because that changes everything in a changing and shifting and hostile culture is that when we stand on our beliefs 
And when we stand on our beliefs, there's a tendency for people not to like that. You don't have to look very far for this, do you? You don't have to look very far to see people who are offended by Christian talk. And they're offended by Christians who, who believe and they, they, they make their statements about their belief system. They get offended by this. And very, very quickly, we get labeled as what? Intolerant, right? We get labeled as, as narrow-minded, as bigoted, as, you know, hateful. We get labeled as, as intolerant. Peter speaks to this very thing. Check out what Peter says. He says, of course... Of course your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things that they do. So what do they do? They slander you. The NIV, if you happen to have the NIV, it says they heap abuse on you. They don't understand why you're different. So what do they do? They make fun of you. They try to marginalize you. They try to, to relegate you to hate speech and relegate you to, well, you, that, that's just an ancient way of living. That doesn't, that doesn't fit anymore. And they try to paint you into a corner and they heap abuse on you. And there's this tendency and there's this tension for us to be called convicted because we are called to be people of conviction. But Peter also says you need to be compassionate we are called to be convicted, but we are also called to be people of compassion. And sometimes these two don't go very well together, right? Because if I'm convicted, what that means is I get angry. And the angrier that I get, the louder I become. And the louder I become, the more walls that get put up. And the more walls that get put up, the more that I start to make people the enemy. And when I make people the enemy, the real enemy wins. That's what happens. And Peter says, you are to be people of compassion, to reach out and be compassionate to people around you. Conviction, absolutely. We need to know what we believe, and we need to stand on our beliefs, and we need to, we need to do those things. But we are to be compassionate as well. And this is very different in our culture today, because our culture tells us that we need to be tolerant of other people, right? You heard that word a lot? You need to be tolerant, other people's views. Well, I looked up the word tolerance in the dictionary, and here's what it said. Tolerance is to recognize and respect other beliefs, practices, etc. And then here's the key. Without sharing them. Without sharing them. Now, this is the kind of tolerance that Jesus demonstrated for us. This is the kind of tolerance, right? Jesus loved people. Jesus hung out with people. He was tolerant of what they believed, and he was tolerant of, of what their system was. He went, he went against several social and political norms of the Jewish people because he was tolerant of other, of other people in order to reach out and be compassionate to them. But this is not the definition of tolerance that we use in our culture today. There's a new definition of tolerance that just has become accepted, and this is what it says. The new tolerance is every individual's beliefs, values, lifestyle, and perception of truth claims are all equal. So you can't tell me what you believe, and you can't tell me that, I'm, that, 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 that you're right and I'm wrong. That's not being tolerant. No, that's being dumb, right? Because how can two things that can be completely opposite, how can they both be true? That's not intellectually honest. If I believe this and you believe that and, and one of us contradicts the other, by definition, one of them can't be right. But yet that's what we find ourselves in. 
And Peter is writing to the Christians, and he is saying, I know that the world feels like it's closing in around you. I know that you feel that you, that you just want to relegate and, and acquiesce on your convictions and just become silent and just sit there. I know that, but don't, but don't do that. But here's what I see today happening, and this, this, just, this just, in a way, it kind of turns my stomach. Because what I see is I see so many people who interpret Scripture to match up with what is culturally popular. It kind of works out really nice for them, if you think about it, because it just so turns out that what they believe to be true changed exactly at the time that it became popular to believe it. And I think so many people do that. And I tell you what's really disheartening, what's really sickening in a way, is this phrase, progressive theology. And progressive theology, at its very, at its very basic level, basically says, I'm going to interpret Scripture what it means to be true and how to apply the scripture through the lens of what is culturally popular. Instead of, I believe, what our church does. We interpret scripture, then we interpret the culture. We stand on the word of God. We don't deviate from that. Pastor Chris never, never ducks the tough issues. Have you been to one of his sermons (laughs) recently, right? (laughs) He he never tries to just minimize whatever it is that's unpopular. He, he, He tackles it head on. And I love that about our church. We stand on that principle. But so many people, whatever's popular in the world, the Bible must be changed just a little bit to make it fit. And that's not right. That's not right for us to do. And so Paul, he's writing to Timothy, and he says, culture is changing, Timothy. Be on the lookout for it. And here's what he says. He says, there's a time coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. I didn't write this, right? Paul says, there's a time coming. It's here. And he wrote this 2,000 years ago. There's a time coming when people will no longer listen to wholesome teachings, but they will follow their own desires, and they will look for teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Is he not writing to our culture today? Is he not writing to this? A time is coming. Well, Paul, the time has arrived. And Paul and Peter is writing Christians and he's telling, you need to be people of conviction even when it costs you something. And you also need to be people of strong compassion. Because we don't want to get angry. We don't want to walk around with these signs and we don't want to push people away but we want to be compassionate to people around us. We want to show them about our convictions by our compassion. Jesus writes this in John chapter 13. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. A new command? What are you talking about, Jesus? If you've read the Old Testament, you know the Old Testament's got some of that kind of stuff in it. What's the new part of it? Well, there it is, as I have loved you. It's the living, breathing, compassionate example of Jesus. I'm going to reach out and be compassionate to people around me because by doing so, I love people. That's the new command. The new command is loving as Jesus loved because when he came, he completely redefined what it meant to love people. It's the new command. And Peter talks about this love and compassion and he says this is what should distinguish you in an ever-changing, hostile um, culture. 
Love and compassion and kindness and goodness. This is what should define you. So here's what he says. He says, finally. He doesn't mean finally like his sermon's about to end, so don't misinterpret what I'm saying here. He's about to open the final part of his book here. He says, finally, all of you be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult or Facebook post with Facebook post. I added that. I don't know if you saw that or not. On the contrary, he says, repay evil with blessing because this, I'm sorry, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Repay evil with blessing. He continues, 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, above all, above all, Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without, without grumbling. Now, the word hospitality here, it's a compound word in the Greek, in the Greek language. It, it literally means to love strangers. Love people who aren't like you. Love people who are, who are different than you. Welcome them. Give them hospitality. For, and then Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, he goes, for it's God's will that by doing good, again, kindness and, and goodness and, and good, by doing good, you will silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Now, that's God's will, right? This is what God wants from us. He wants his people living in this culture to do good, goodness and and kindness and, and generosity. He wants us to do good, and by doing so, we will silence the talk of ignorant and foolish people. Let me tell you one thing I love about our church. I love that our church just has just started this Change the World project. And if you were there on Saturday, then you know, Channel 6 came out, right? You remember that? Channel 59, there was a couple of interviews on Channel 59, you know, the magazines came out, took some pictures, and we were asked this question, why are you guys doing this? And our standard response is because we want to be compassionate to people who we may never meet. I don't. There's people who are hungry, right? Can't we help them? Can't we make 425,000 meals on a Saturday and send them in a shipping container to Haiti and to Central America so that whoever receives them, they can have a spiritual conversation so that maybe, just maybe, Somebody will see the compassion of Jesus by people in Indianapolis. Maybe, just maybe. I love that about our church. Does that put more seats in our auditorium? No, it probably doesn't. Does that add any more dollars to the offering plate? Probably not. Is it a kingdom win? Absolutely. And that's what we're about. Compassion being displayed to people who we may never meet, who Paul calls strangers. I love our Change for a Dollar program. It might be one of the, my favorite things we do at this church. And it certainly is one of my most favorite programs that I get to oversee. Because here are people who are just at a, a moment in life. They've been, they, they, sometimes kids aren't asked to be born with disease, right? Kids don't ask for that. It's not their fault. Moms and dads will do whatever it is they need to do to take care of their kids. Whatever that means. That means the lights, the mortgage, whatever. We're going to get my kid well as much as we can. How does that benefit this church? It doesn't. But it shows that we are compassionate to people who may never be compassionate back to us. I love it. We are a generous church who gives away money to people who aren't even Christians at times. What statement does that make, right? 
It's compassion. We just had close to 90 people return from mission trips to Africa and to the Caribbean and to here in the United States. They paid their own way to go. They paid their own way to go to show compassion to people that they've never met before. Who does stuff like that? And on and on and on. Mission trips and mission partners and people that we work with and in the communities and the circles that you, that you are around, you have opportunity every day to be compassionate to other people. And when we're compassionate to other people, then, then they'll start to care about our convictions, right? Then they'll care because this is what I've come to know to be true, that when people begin to witness our compassion, then they will care about our convictions, Why do you do stuff like this when they witness our compassion? Then they'll care about our convictions. Jesus says, this is the new command. This is it. The opportunity to reach out and love and be compassionate to people because I came and showed you compassion. That's the new way. And every day we have this opportunity to to be part of the new command, the new identity, the new way of reaching out and loving people. And here's, here's how Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, for God called you to do good. Again, kindness and, and, and generosity, and, and those, he called you to do good. Even when it means suffering as Christ suffered for you, he is your example. You get that? Jesus is the example. Again, the example. And you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. Verse 23. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. Now, he could have, but he didn't. Or he didn't threaten revenge when he suffered. Now, he didn't say, you just wait. You just wait till I get up to heaven. Then you will not believe what comes your way. He didn't say that. The text goes on. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. The message, the message translation paraphrases it this way. It says, they called him every name in the book, but he didn't say anything back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. Now, can you remember that next time you're tempted to retaliate? Can you remember Jesus didn't do that? And can you remember that maybe next time you're, you're trading insult with insult and punch for punch and word with words, can you remember that Jesus never did that? Or the next time you're about to go on one of your social media rants, can you just push the pause button and just remember when Jesus said, Father, forgive them? Can we do that? And can we just be content? No matter the talk of people, no matter how it affects us, can we just remember it's God who judges fairly and that it's God's job to be in that role. And just like Jesus, let God judge because he always judges fairly. When you look at the history of the early church, when you look at the history, the church explodes in growth And it flourishes, even though there is intense persecution, even though Nero is coming down on the church. I'm not making this up. He is lighting Christians on fire to nightlight his party so they can have a party outside at night. He's he's burning them alive. Even under this type of persecution, the church flourishes in numbers. 
And it goes from just an organization of 12 men and, and a group of women. It goes from a small organization to thousands and hundreds and, and millions. It, it flourishes because the early church was content to let their compassion silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. They were content to just be compassionate to everyone that they meet. Nicholas Kristof is a New York Times editorialist, and he was reflecting on the evangelical church, and here's what he wrote. He says, evangelicals are disproportionately likely to donate 10% of their income to charities, mostly church-related. More importantly, again, they're disproportionately uh, likely to go to the front lines or and at home um, in the battles uh, against hunger and malaria, prison, Rape, human trafficking, genocide, and some of the bravest people that you meet are evangelical Christians who live out their faith. And he continues. He says, I'm not particularly religious myself, but I stand in all of those who are risking their lives this way, and it sickens me to see that faith mocked at New York cocktail parties. He says, I'm not evangelical, I'm not a Christian, I'm not even religious, but I can't argue with that. I can argue with someone's convictions and how they come across and how they, they present themselves, but I can't argue that they're likely to go and engage a culture through their compassion. I, I can't argue with that. There's a book I read recently. I've read it a couple of times. And I, I, I'm a history guy, so I think, it's just, I think it's just fascinating. It's a great book. It's by Rodney Stark. And Rodney Stark, um, at the time that he wrote this book, he was the professor of uh, sociology and comparative religions at the University of Washington. And the book that he wrote is called The Rise of Christianity, How an Obscure Marginal Jesus Movement Changed the World. And he tracks the history of Christianity through about the first three to 400 years of its growth. Now, remember Jesus, he died on the cross and came back from the grave. He then appeared to the disciples, remember this, and to the women and to, to a lot of the believers. Everybody comes back to Jerusalem, and he's on the mountain, and then he, he, he goes to heaven, remember this? And then, then Peter preaches, you know, the next chapter later, Peter preaches, and, and the church starts, and 3,000 people come to know the Lord, and it just kind of explodes from there. Persecution comes from the outside, comes from the Jews first, they don't like it. it Paul goes and it explodes, and the foreign governments, they come down, they don't like it either, but it, but it explodes, and he just kind of tracks this through history. What, what was it that, that Jesus started that changed, that ended up changing the world? And he, and he talks about this. He talks about how in the Greco-Roman world at the time, um, abortion and infanticide were very common. I mean, it was very common. If, if a female was born or, or, or a child that had some sort of physical disabilities or, or just an unwanted child, it was just very common for them to leave the kids in the street or to take them out to the woods and leave them in the woods for the animals to find or for some sort of strange and perverted people to come along and, and take them. That was, that, that's just what you did in Roman times, in Roman days. But the church said, you know what? We're not going to follow those rules. We're going to do things a little differently. So the church went out to the woods, and the church went into the streets, and they took these kids, and they brought them into their homes, and they raised them as their own children. And so about the turn of the century, the very first Christian orphanages are established in the homes of believers because they said, we're not going to play by those rules. And the church starts to gain some steam because people can see the compassion of the church. And Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says, Husbands, love your wives as, as equal partners. Now, back in the day, it was, it was, I mean, it was against, women didn't have any rights whatsoever except for cooking, cleaning, and childbirthing, right? That's all they were good for then. Now, today, we read that, we read that, and we're saying, of course, husbands are to honor your wives. Of course, husbands are to love their wives as equal partners. But back in the day, that was not the case. 
In fact, when, when, a, when, a, when, a, when a husband died, his wife was stripped of any property and money that they had in their family. It all went to somebody else. And so widows were often forced to marry people who they didn't want to be with just so they would have something to eat, right? So they would marry somebody, they'd go and live in their house so they would have a roof and they would have a bed and they would have something to eat. But the church showed up and said, what if we take care of the widows? What if we did this ourselves? What if we were to sacrifice, invite them into into our homes and we were to take care of them? And that's what they did. And the church starts to flourish in people. Not because they're out there preaching their convictions, but because they're showing their compassion. And, and you can track this. Girls were often married off before even puberty. Even puberty, they were, they were, they were off to be married. The church came in and said, we're going to stop that right now. And the church puts its foot down, and they start to welcome families into their environment. Even people who don't even agree with them on a, on a theological level. But they see the good that the church is doing, and the church begins to flourish, and the church starts to spread all over the known world. And they're going on ships, and it's going on the major cities, and they're moving all over the world, and the church is flourishing in numbers because of their compassion for people. Then in 324 AD, and 324 AD is the changing point of the story. The church is, is growing by numbers and Hundreds and thousands, the church is growing. But in 324 AD, Constantine comes to the throne. He is now the new emperor of Rome. He's the first Christian emperor, and he made Christianity legal and acceptable all around the Roman world and all through Roman influence. You ever been to uh, Constantinople before? Anybody just get back from Istanbul? Same place in Turkey. If you were on the Greece trip, didn't you fly through Istanbul? Anybody? It's, that, it's the same city. He established that city as a Christian city. And, and the church, in 324, they start to say, now you have to be Christian. We have an emperor who's sympathetic to Christians, and now you have to be. Because if you don't buy into the message that we're preaching, do you know who the emperor is? Do you know what he's going to do with those who don't agree with his way of thinking? And do you know what happens? The church starts to decline in its numbers. Why is that? Because the church traded love and compassion for power. And the moment that we trade compassion for power, everything falls apart. Before before it was growing because of compassion, and then it tried to trade for power. Because when we trade love for power as a way to influence the world, it doesn't work. It falls apart. And so the church had to reset itself. And the church had to, it finally thought we've, we've arrived, right? So now we can preach and now we can, and it all fell apart. It's the compassion. It's that side that Jesus calls us to. That's the new command. That's what he's asked us to do. And that's what we want to be a part of. Because it's very easy for us to go out and to reach out and to share this message with other people because we know that the Lord is good. We have, we have seen the goodness of the Lord. We, we know about his grace and his mercy and, and what he's done for us. In fact, Peter kind of says it like this. He says in, uh, in 1 Peter 2, 3, he says, You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. That's us. We have tasted and we have seen and we know that the Lord is good, right? We know these things. And so he's calling on Christians to be convicted, absolutely, but to be compassionate because we know how good the Lord is. Because we have tasted and we have seen the goodness of the Lord. 
one of the things I like to do, and, and don't think less of me, please don't. Or you can think less of me if you want. That's fine. I, um, I like to go to Sam's Club. Anybody else? Sam's Club. And I specifically like to go on Saturdays and Sunday afternoons. There's just something about the sweet sample ladies. We just have this conversation between us, right? So I walk around, my family, we go, and we kind of make friends with some of the sample ladies. It's kind of weird when they call you by name, but that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes, I guess. I was there the, recently without my family, and I was kind of thinking about this, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And right as I'm coming around the frozen chicken aisle at Sam's Club, you know what I mean, right? One of my friends, she, kinda, she sticks out this thing of chicken for me, and it has a toothpick in it. It almost takes out my eye. It was really close. But, but it's hard to argue when someone's giving you free food, right? I mean, what are you supposed to say? So she gives me this chicken, and, and I don't really want it. I have a, I have a limited taste palate, how I defined it. I'm, I'm kind of a picky eater. And so I'm very limited in what I, Long's Bakery and I, we have a great relationship. We have a great relationship. You know, it's, it's good. I'm walking around the chicken aisle and the lady gives me the chicken and I, I don't really want it, but I didn't want to argue with her. And, you know, so I ate the chicken and it was, it was, it was actually kind of good. So I took another lap around and <laughs> came back through for the second piece and, you know, stuff like that. Don't, I mean, we do that, right? We do that. So I get me a second set of chicken, and wouldn't you know it, I came home with two frozen bags of chicken that day <laughs> because of that. And they're probably still in my freezer, aren't they? They're probably still in the freezer and still there. But that's us. We are walking sample sizes to a hostile world. And we are to see, and we sample, and we say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Look what the Lord's done in my life. Look how good the Lord is. And we are sampling, we are giving samples to the world that we encounter everywhere that we go. In our work and in our neighborhoods and in our schools and in our groups and our whatever it may be. You are the sample size to the world. And every time we encounter somebody, it's our opportunity to show compassion by the sample size of the love that Jesus commanded us to be. You see... Compassion is manifested by loving other people. That's why I love what we do. That's why I love my church. I'm privileged to be at a place like this, where this is how we think and this is what we want to do. And I'll tell you what we're also privileged to do. We're also privileged to partner with people in Poland who do this very thing. Maui and Ava and John and Jabba, they're here someplace. They're right over there. There they are. Wake up, Maui. It's, you know, so. It's our joy to partner with mission partners like ProM who are reaching out with compassion to the people around them and they're planning churches and they're building schools and they're seeing lives changed. Yes, they have their convictions, but their convictions are being played out by their compassion. They saw a community of 70,000 people and they said, we can do better. And they're building a $2 million school building so that all the kids who go to this school will hear about the message of Jesus. It's education, right? But it's Jesus' education. It's compassion. They're building churches and saving lives and having, and having people come to sports camps. It's just basketball. It's just volleyball. But it's compassion volleyball. We're doing it because we love Jesus. And that compassion will lead to a conversation about our convictions. That's our opportunity. I'm privileged that they're here today. It's my joy to host them at this church. Will somebody do me a favor and take them out to lunch today? Not Taco Bell. Not Taco Bell. Take them someplace good. Someplace good. Somebody take them to lunch today. They're right over there. After church, they're either going to be up here or they're going to be in the comments. Come up and give them a hug. Just speak some encouragement into what they're doing. Because it's our joy at Mount Pleasant to work with good people. And the, here are four of the best ones that we work with. 
and they're with us today. Isn't that great? Yeah. We are called to be compassionate people. And every day, we walk around with our sample size, and we say, taste and see that the Lord is good. What if? What if? What if the church, what if we really did this? What if we really reached out to the orphans and took care of the orphans and the fatherless? What if we really reached out and loved single moms? What if we reached out and really took care of people who didn't look like us or have anything to to give us? What if we just did because we love people? Imagine the impact that we could have if 4,000 people went out and radically loved their neighbors and radically took their mission field uh, in in, in their office spaces by, by doing acts of compassion. That's why I am so excited. I am so excited about this week of service as we serve a neighbor here at Mount Pleasant. I'm so excited for the opportunity of all of us to be able to go out into our neighborhoods, into our communities, into the homeless, and for the military, that we're able to go out and, and, and give sample sizes of just how good the Lord is by our acts, our acts of compassion. Now, it's very easy today. It's very easy to, to throw darts and to make our list and to blame other people. We blame our culture on activist judges and on politicians and, and unconstitutional rulings, and we, we blame it on the right or on the left, and they're talking heads on TV. We, we like to blame other people, and we've got a list. We've all got a list of people that we want to blame for why our culture is the way that it is. But Peter says, it's a hostile culture. But in that culture, you are called to be people of conviction, And that conviction is played out by the compassion that we show to other people. Brian's going to come here in just a minute, and we're going to sing a song, and we're going to pray. And and I want to pray with you. I do. If you want to come up and and pray, I want to pray with you. Our decision counselors will be up here, too, in just a minute. But what if? What if we took this stuff seriously? What if we really took an actionable step based on our convictions to reach out and to be compassionate to somebody? That's what we're trying to do. That's how and that's why and that's the step that we take to change, the, to change the world across the street and around the world. That's what we want to do, by compassion. And that's why, and that's why we want to change the world for Christ, one family, one life, one opportunity, one sample size at a time. And we'll change the world. And when people look back and they say, what, I don't, I don't they can't argue with that. It's our compassion. It's our love in action. That's, that's what Christ has called us to be. And that, that's the message of Jesus. That's the new command. And I can't wait to see what the Lord's going to do through people who genuinely want to follow him and genuinely want to reach out and be compassionate to people around us because, because of our rock-solid convictions and the ever-solid word of God. It's not changing, it's not shifting, it's not going away. And so we reach out and we're compassionate to other people. Will you stand with me and I'm going to pray. And if you, if you want to start your spiritual journey, if you, want to, if you want to know about Jesus and how we can be, you know, the people that he's called us to be, I, I, I want to tell you about Jesus. Let's not leave here today unless we've had that opportunity. 
But perhaps, perhaps you want to come forward just, just to pray and, and say, Lord, help me be compassionate to my family. Help me to not trade insult with insult or punch for punch or post for post. Help me to be compassionate to people. Perhaps you want to pray, and I want, I, I want to pray with you. I do. I want to pray with you. But whatever it may be, if you, have a, if you have a spiritual decision to make or you want some prayer or whatever, let us minister to you. Let us, let us do those things. This is what Christ has called us to be, the church in action, the compassionate church. And when people witness our compassion, then they'll care about our convictions. Let's pray.